Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. Thanks, Josephine. Well, there are times when a change in attitude can literally change your life. For example, perhaps you have a health scare and you change your attitude in diet, which then responds in a literal life change. Uh, Perhaps you find yourself in a study situation and you realise that perhaps you need to change your attitude towards the work before you. And as you do, the trajectory or outcome starts to change. Perhaps you have been in a workplace and, or in a family where there's a conflict situation and you've realised that a change of attitude toward another person will bring about harmony. Or perhaps you're part of a sport team who realises that a change in attitude may increase their competitiveness or may not. I remember as a young dad how I realised that I was getting really grumpy about uh, breaks in sleep and that's not uncommon for young parents as they adjust to interrupted sleep. My attitude was, I have to do this. I have to get out of bed and go and be with my grumpy child and try and calm them down. And I realised that that attitude wasn't good for me, it wasn't good for my child and it wasn't good for my family. And the trajectory of that attitude was particularly scary. And so I realised I needed to change my attitude. And so I changed my attitude over time to a I get to do this attitude. I get to be a dad to this child. No one else gets to be a dad to this child, but I do. I have the privilege of being a dad and so I will get up in the middle of the night with broken sleep and joyfully embrace my delightful child. Everything didn't change overnight, but the switch in attitude certainly changed my life in that area. When we willingly change our attitude, attitude changes our will. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1 calls for a radical change in attitude. Therefore, it says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Arm yourselves with the same attitude as Jesus. An attitude of willingness to suffer. An attitude of putting aside one's own will for the will of God. Now, I don't think Peter is writing this randomly. He isn't suddenly thinking about this out of any context at all. In fact, all, at all, in fact Peter had his own moment where his attitude had been confronted and challenged and where he had to change his attitude. For Peter, it was a long night at the end of a big week. Anticipation was high. 
along with Jesus, Peter was in Jerusalem. And Peter had noticed that in this particular week, Jesus had purpose. I mean, he always had purpose, but he was really focused. He meant business in this particular week. Things that seemed to Peter were starting to come to a climax. And action orientated Peter. He was as excited as a child in a lolly shop. But the mood changed. Jesus told Peter that he would disown him three times that night. Talk about ruining the mood. Peter was indignant. He would never do such a thing. Never would he disown Jesus. Even if he had to die, he wouldn't disown Jesus. But as the evening progressed, Jesus' own mood went down. He became overwhelmed, we're told, with sorrow and was in deep distress. He takes some time to go and spend with his father and ask Peter and a couple of the other disciples to stay, to watch and to pray. In a night that's rapidly going from bad to worse, Peter is unable to follow Jesus' instruction. He can't even keep his eyes open. He can't watch and pray. He falls asleep. While Peter sleeps, Jesus agonises over his upcoming death. He suffers in his spirit what he's about to suffer in his body. He falls to the ground. He pleads for another way. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Three times on that night, Jesus asked Peter to watch and pray and three times Peter slept. Before long, Peter disowned Jesus three times. Jesus walks head on into the suffering before him with the attitude, not what I will, but you will. Peter skirts around the edges of potential suffering with the attitude, not what you will, but what I will. And so now as we come to 1 Peter 4 and as Peter finishes this section of his letter concerning how Christians should live such good lives in an unbelieving society so that they, unbelievers, might glorify God, Peter calls us, them back there and us now, to the attitude that he wished he had on that night. Jesus' attitude. The attitude of humble submission to God. The attitude that says, yet not what I will, but what you will. When we willingly submit our attitude to Jesus', Jesus' attitude subsumes our will. Jesus' attitude absorbs our will. 
Jesus' not-what-I-will attitude subsumes or absorbs our resistance to suffering. Peter tells us that the attitude of suffering in our body will mean we are done away with sin. Now, how does that work? Think again back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter wasn't done with sin that night. He slept in the garden rather than obey Jesus. He crept in the distance rather than risk suffering. He wept at his betrayal rather than be bold in friendship to Jesus. A willingness to suffer with Jesus would have indicated that he was done with sin. Done with sin isn't not having any presence of sin in your life. Done with sin is saying it's behind me and I'll go before uh, onward in obedience regardless of what will happen. At Bible study this week, the group that I'm in was uh, thinking about this passage and I was caused to ask myself a confronting question. Is my relative lack of suffering an indicator that I am not done with sin. Now, it may not be. There's all sorts of reasons why why it may not be, but it might be. And that was the question for me. Sure, I might be able to tick several boxes of sin that I am done with, but am I still dabbling in sin that comes and is driven from my own human desire? What do I hold back on to protect myself rather than be courageous in obedience to Jesus? Am I done with sin? Or what do I hang on to to make sure that I'm secure and comfortable rather than step out in faith with Jesus? Am I done with sin? And not what I will attitude means we are done with sin. A not-what-I-will attitude means that we will suffer for Christ. When we willingly submit our attitude to Jesus's, Jesus' attitude subsumes our will. And it subsumes our will to indulge as well. And Peter goes on to this in verse 3 to 6. Peter talks about some moral issues here. And uh, we could spend some time thinking about them. But I want to draw your attention to what he calls detestable idolatry. Now, this covers all sorts of things. And basically, anything that we worship in the place of God is idolatry. And Peter's point with all of these sins isn't so much how bad they are. It's, haven't you wasted enough time doing that stuff? It's a really interesting way to frame it, isn't it? Haven't you wasted enough time in the past doing the things that the pagans do? He's making a point about the purpose of life for a believer, a follower of Jesus. Our purpose isn't found by wasting time doing things that the world does, being driven by those human desires. But rather our purpose is found when we look to Jesus And when we follow him, indulging worldly desires does nothing for living with purpose. 
Don't waste any more time doing such things. Sure, as Peter says, you may have abuse heaped on you as you withdraw from those things because people don't get it. Why won't you just fill in the gap? And people may heap abuse on you, but don't be mistaken. The godly behaviour, the life that comes from a not-my-will attitude adds to our witness. As Chris reminded us a few weeks ago, you may not matter to the world, but you matter for the world. An attitude of not what my will subsumes and changes our will towards indulgence so that people will see the gospel and have to account for their actions to God himself. And even if in this day and age we are judged by human standards, as Peter talks about in verse 6, we know that a day of reckoning, a day of judgment and a day of vindication for God's people, for those who suffer with the attitude of Jesus, is coming. When we willingly submit our attitude to Jesus's, Jesus' attitude subsumes our will. And this happens not just with the not my will part of Jesus' attitude, but also with the but what you will part of Jesus' attitude. The what you, you will part of Jesus' attitude subsumes our will towards God's activity in the world. In verse 7, Peter uh, reminds the exiles that the end of all things is near. So be alert of sober mind and pray. Again, do you hear the Gethsemane overtones in what Peter's saying? He's saying the suffering won't last forever. It might be intense right now as it was for the people that Peter was writing to. It may be intense but it won't last forever. God is active even when we may not see his activity day by day. Perhaps Peter was remembering that time when he wasn't alert, when he didn't pray. Perhaps he wishes he could turn back time, entrusting himself in that moment to Jesus, knowing that the end was near and knowing even if it meant suffering, God was at work. God is active in our world. His will for our world is to bring a day when all abuse will come to an end. His will for our world is to bring a day where righteousness will be revealed and everyone, even those who mock righteousness today, will see it for all it's worth. God's will for our world is to bring a day when suffering will cease, a day when weeping is wiped away permanently and a day where joy will be made complete. That day is coming and Peter says that day is near. It's the day when Jesus returns. It could be today. Don't let mocking and worldly wisdom deceive you. God is active. Jesus' return is imminent. And until that day, we watch and we pray. Whatever we do, we don't fall asleep. When we willingly submit our attitude to Jesus, Jesus' attitude subsumes our will. 
And finally, Jesus' what your will attitude subsumes our will towards each other. In this last part of the passage uh, from verse 8 to 11, Peter addresses three particular changes brought on by Jesus' attitude. We love each other deeply uh, with the love of Jesus. That's what it means by love that covers a multitude of sins. We show hospitality, that is love for strangers or for, for the other. And we serve each other rather than look to be served by each other. Notice about these things that they are all other person centred. They all require a not what I will but what you will attitude. And they are essential to faithful living in the midst of hostility. You know, the clearer you can see your enemy, the more you need tight bonds of fellowship or friendship. Like a soldier on the front line, camaraderie isn't a luxury for the Christian facing persecution. Our problem may just be that we live in too much comfort. And when you live in comfort, you may be able to survive without the deep love that Peter talks about that covers a multitude of sins. You may be able to survive without offering hospitality to the stranger. You might be able to survive without serving. But not so when you're under the pump of persecution. And if we believe that in our day and age we are moving into a time where we'll be more and more like this community that Peter wrote to, a community in exile, if we believe that we're moving into a day where we will be more oppressed in the world around us, then these three things, love, hospitality and serving one another, become increasingly critical to our Christian life and to our Christian witness. That's what Peter's saying here. When you're in the middle of persecution, love, hospitality and service bind people together and reveal something of the sacrifice of Jesus who was the one who said, not what I will but what you will. Those things will come at personal cost just as they came at personal cost for Jesus when he offered them for us. Notice what Peter says about serving. He says that we serve as faithful stewards of God's grace. We distribute grace as his people. I just found that a fascinating phrase to reflect on. It really makes serving not an optional extra. As we serve each other, we're distributing God's grace. No wonder it's so important for people in persecution and for all of us. Love, hospitality and service to one another are God's way of living good lives amongst unbelievers, of living good lives in hostility and ultimately there of bringing glory to God. Now, you might say, oh, question first. Will we willingly submit our attitude to Jesus 
allowing Jesus' attitude to subsume our will. Now you might say, yes, I am doing that and I want to do that more. But I keep getting stuck on a couple of things. How do I move forward? And I want to take you back to what it was like for me to be a grumpy young dad. Because I had to do more than two things, but I'll simplify it for two. And I want you to think about these two things as you move forward from here. First, I had to identify the issue. I had to actually acknowledge that I've got an attitude problem. And if that's you with part of your life with Jesus, that there's some things that you knowingly are holding back from, then the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that there's an attitude problem. Acknowledge it to yourself, acknowledge it to God and I'd encourage you to acknowledge it with a trusted friend. It helps. That's the first thing, acknowledge it. The second thing I had to do as a grumpy young dad was to discipline myself to take on a different attitude. And this was really hard and it didn't happen overnight. But literally, I had to tell myself when I was getting up in the night to look after a child who wasn't sleeping, I had to say, no, don't say, I have to do this. Say, I get to do this. As you're walking down to the bedroom, I get to do this. I get to be a dad. I get to embrace and love this child when they're anxious in the middle of the night. I get to do this. And so it is when we come to submitting our will to Jesus. We need to acknowledge what it is that we need to change and then we need to discipline ourselves with the help of the Holy Spirit to bring about that change. Now, perhaps there is a phrase that you'll have in your mind on the particular thing that you're working on. But perhaps it could be as simple and profound as using the same words that Jesus did. Not what I will, but what you will. Reminding yourself of the attitude of Jesus, submitting yourself to that attitude and in so doing, allowing Jesus' attitude to subsume your will. Well, as Peter finishes this part of his letter, he reminds us that as we do willingly submit our attitude to Jesus and as Jesus' attitude subsumes our will, something amazing happens. That in all things, God will be praised through Jesus Christ. There's a motivation to submit your attitude to Jesus. And as we do it, to him will be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.